In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Um, God willing, today we're going to speak about some of the Old Testament feasts. And a lot of times people question, what was the reason why um, God commanded different things in the Old Testament? Um, and in what way does that connect to the things that happen in the New Testament? Um, and so we'll see that um, all of the Old Testament feasts were in some way pointing to Christ to help the Jews and prepare them for when the Messiah would come. So I want to speak about the Old Testament feasts one by one and then talk about how they all point um, to Christ. So we read in Leviticus 23, um, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. So right off the bat we see that God had commanded that there be certain feasts that the people celebrate. Um, and unfortunately, the people were not very good at celebrating these feasts um, because they were always in some kind of trouble or they were, um, you know, worshiping idols and, and, and neglecting the feasts um, that God had ordained for them. For instance, one of the most important feasts was the Passover, um, commemorating when um, the Lord saved um, the Israelites and brought them out of Egypt. Uh, but during the time of them wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, um, unfortunately, they were not practicing even this feast. Um, so we're going to speak about the feast. So there's three types of feasts. Okay, So there's the weekly feasts, which is the Sabbath, right? The Sabbath is considered to be a feast, which is uh, a day of rest um, for worshiping God. This is a, a feast. Then there's the monthly feasts, which are based on the, 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 moon, the moon, the lunar calendar. Um, in Numbers chapter 10, it says, Also in the day of your gladness and your appointed feasts, and at the beginning of your months, you shall blow the trumpet over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, and they shall be a memorial for you before your God, I am the Lord your God. Okay, so so uh, in addition to certain days that God had appointed, um, al also he's saying at the beginning of your months. So the very beginning of each of the months, the, according to the lunar calendar, was also considered a feast. So those are like the monthly feasts. And then there are the annual feasts, the feasts that happen um, one time um, per year. There's two types of feasts, so um, in terms of, of, of how they were established. So... There are seven feasts that God had established in the Torah, right? When he spoke to Moses and he talked to the people and he said, these are the feasts that you are to, uh, that you are to uh, celebrate on an annual basis every year, okay? And they are the Passover, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, the First Fruits, the Harvest, which is also called the Pentecost and the Feast of Weeks, um, the Feast of the Trumpets, Atonement, and Tabernacles. Those are the seven feasts um, that are the most well-known because they are the ones that are established in the Torah. We do read about other feasts that kind of were adopted later on, were not some of the originals that God had commanded, but they were uh, established by the Jewish people to commemorate important events that happened. Okay? So the first one is called the dedication, or more commonly it's referred to as Hanukkah. Um, Hanukkah is uh, to commemorate... Uh, the, during the time of the Maccabees. So the Maccabees were like a group of Jewish people um, that were fighting against the Greeks uh, who were trying to take over Israel and, and, and uh, cause Israel to abandon the worship of God and adopt instead a Greek culture and the Greek gods. So there was a, a group of people called the Maccabees who were fighting against the Greeks. Um, and this was uh, after 
what is traditionally considered the Old Testament. So um, the old, the, the Orthodox Church, we believe in what we call deuterocanonical books, which are additional books in the Old Testament that are not found in the Protestant version. Um, and, 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 and two of the books are, are First and Second Maccabees that speak about the what happened with these group of Jews called the Maccabees and everything they did. They're actually very good books um, to read. So the Feast of Hanukkah was actually established um, based on the 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 kind of the, the 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 rededication of the temple after it had been defiled by the Greeks um, during the time of the Maccabees. So that's where you get the Feast of Hanukkah, which is one of the most famous of the Jewish feasts. Purim. Does anyone know where this feast comes from? This is actually mentioned in the in the Bible, in the Protestant Bible. Esther, right? So at the time of Esther, uh, the Jewish people were being attacked by Haman. Right, Haman had commanded that the Jewish people be destroyed, um, but um, at the last minute, um, they were they were warned that this was going to happen and allowed to defend themselves, and they were saved. So this feast of Purim is kind of a commemoration of the salvation of the Jewish people during the time of Esther. Then you have uh, some additional ones. The Judith, Judith is, is another of the Deuterocanonical books. Um, and she has victory over a man named Holofernes, and, and so this is another feast that they would celebrate. There was um, Nehemiah um, uh, celebrated uh, like a purification of the temple at the time when he came to build the wall of Jerusalem. This is another feast that they commemorate. And then um, also Judas. Judas is again from the Maccabees. His name is Judas Maccabees. Um, he, he defeated a man named Nicanor. Um, and this is another feast that they celebrate. So um, modern Jews today, um, would be celebrating all of these feasts, right? The Jews at the time of Moses and um, in the Old Testament um, at the beginning, um, they would celebrate just the first seven feasts because those are the ones that were established in the Torah, right? But later on, um, these other feasts were established. So we're going to focus on the seven feasts um, and, and kind of what is the symbolism for, for each one. So I don't know if you can see this, um, but this is a kind of a wheel that's showing all of the year, um, all of the, the months of the year, according to the Jewish calendar, um, the names of the months and how they, uh, how they uh, correspond to the Gregorian calendar for, for our months. Okay? One thing to note is that each of the months in the Jewish calendar has two names. Here you only see one of the names. There was a set of names that was established from the beginning. And there was another set of names that was used after the exile. So when the exile ended um, and the, the Jews returned to Jerusalem again, um, there was a different set of names um, that, that was used. So you'll find that, um, for instance, the month of... Um, uh, well, no, I don't remember. No, that's fine. Um, so, so, but you'll see here the, the different feasts. So on the right, you see the month of Abib, the 14th is the Passover. This is also known as the month of Nisan, which is mentioned also in the Bible. The 14th is the Passover. The 15th is the unleavened bread. And then followed by that is the first fruits. Then you have the Feast of Weeks. Okay, you see that followed by the Pentecost, right? So I'm, I'm moving uh, clockwise. And then um, over there around uh, like 8 o'clock, you see the Feast of the Trumpets. And then the 10th Day of Atonement, the Feast of Tabernacles, okay? Um, and then you see Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the new year according to, like, the civil calendar. Again, like, there's the original calendar of the Jews, and then there's, like, the civil calendar. There's a religious calendar and civil calendar. The civil calendar, which is Rosh Hashanah, is not the original uh, new year, right? Um, I believe uh, Abib was the first month, right? So Abib, 
was the original first month, right? Whereas Rosh Hashanah became like the the new month, the, the new year according to the civil calendar. And then if you keep going, you see the Feast of Lights um, over dedication, and then you see also the Feast of Purim up there at the top. So this includes some of the or this includes the original feasts of the seven. Also includes some of the newer feasts that were established later on. Okay. So first we'll speak about the Sabbath, because like we said, this is a weekly feast. Okay, so it says in Exodus 20, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. So we see that this Sabbath day is corresponding to the day of rest where the Lord rested on the seventh day. So after the six days of creation, he was working in the creation. And then it says on the seventh day he rested in Genesis chapter 2. So similar to that, he's asking the people to work for six days in the week and then to rest on the seventh day. And this is this is the origin of why our week has seven days. You know, he asks, why does the week have seven days? It has seven days because God worked for six days and rested on the seventh day, and then the cycle continues to repeat. Okay? Um, uh, the people rested, including the slaves and also the animals. This was in Exodus 23. God said everyone should rest, even the animals should rest. And there was a punishment for disobedience of their Sabbath, which was stoning. And there's a famous story in the Old Testament about a man who was found to be carrying sticks um, on the Sabbath um, unlawfully, and he was stoned. Um, it's also to remember a rest from their bondage. So... Um, like in, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, speaking about when the Jews to remember how they were in bondage and slavery, right? And then God granted them rest by freeing them from their slavery. This also represents a covenant between the people and God um, because God made a covenant with them that they would be his special people as long as they submitted to him and obeyed his commandments. And this, this distinguished them from the nations, Right? They had a special covenant that distinguished them from the nations, and this was one of the signs of the covenant. So every time that they would rest on the seventh day, they would remember, we are the chosen people of God. God has made a covenant with us, right? and we worship him on this day and remember our special status in the eyes of God that we are his people. And of course, this is a symbol of the eternal rest in the kingdom of heaven. Because just as God rested after his work on the seventh day, right? The kind of what comes after is eternity right uh, it, like the eternal rest that comes in the kingdom of heaven after the six days of work so that's kind of some of the symbolism that we understand um, the sabbath which was a weekly feast that is celebrated on a weekly basis okay um, the first of the annual feasts and one of the most recognizable is the passover so the passover was established by god when the israelites were enslaved in egypt and as part of the plagues, the last plague that God sent on the Egyptians in order to compel them to release the Israelites from slavery was the death of the firstborn. And so um, the, the, this, this uh, angel would come down and he would kill the firstborn son of every household except for the households, the houses that had uh, the blood of the sacrificial lamb that was um, smeared on the doorpost and the lintel, right? And so this represents what? Represents the crucifixion of Christ, right? Because um, even as St. John the Baptist said about Christ, that Christ is the, the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So just in the Old Testament, as there were burnt offerings, and those burnt offerings were slaughtered, and the blood was sprinkled on the altar, 
right? The shedding of blood was for the remission of sins of the person who was coming to offer the sacrifice. And here, this blood that is put on the doorposts and the lentil of each of the houses represents the blood of Christ. Of course, uh, this time there was no Messiah had come yet, but but it was it was a foreshadowing and a symbol of what was to come. That we are saved from death through the shedding of blood of the sacrificial lamb, okay, which of course is Christ. And this feast is called the Passover because this angel of death passed over, right, the houses that that had the blood, okay. And and Saint Paul, when he speaks about this, he says in First Corinthians five verse seven, um, for indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us, right. So he was sacrificed. And he calls him our Passover because he's the one who saves us from death. Okay, as a part of the Passover, um, after they had slaughtered this animal, they would eat it, right? So they ate this lamb. This represents what? Because again, the lamb represents the Lord Jesus Christ. So eating of the lamb represents what? Communion. It represents the Eucharist. Okay, so so we can see many symbols, right, in this that later on would become more clear at the time the people didn't fully understand you know what was meant by all of this but later on of course to us in the new testament it's revealed like it's revealed to us in the new testament what was the meaning behind all of these things that were done in the old testament so when we read it the old testament is not simply you know, some customs and traditions that the people used to practice long ago that have no significance anymore, but they're actually a foreshadowing and a symbol of everything that we practice today. So you see how God was preparing the people, right, throughout all of history so that they would accept the, 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 the teachings of the church and the New Testament. That was the goal, right? The goal was for the Jewish people, having had all of these symbols, so that when the Messiah would come, they would connect everything that he is doing and saying with what they had already been practicing, but in a spiritual way rather than in a physical way. So that's the Passover. The next is um, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Okay, And this feast starts the day after the Passover and lasts for seven days. Okay, So um, as a part of this feast, they were to have this bread, which would have no leaven. Why is it that it would have no leaven? Because leaven represents sin. Leaven represents sin. And so, so as a symbol of purity and sinlessness and holiness, right, they would eat this um, uh, without, without any uh, leaven, okay? And they would eat it hastily. They would eat it quickly, right? Why would they eat it quickly? Because it's a reminder to them of the fact that they ate this in Egypt prior to them leaving, right, in order to flee from the Egyptians. So they were doing it quickly. They were doing it as people who were fleeing for their lives, right? So God told them when they commemorate the Passover and this Feast of the Unleavened Bread, that they would eat this bread quickly, okay, right? And they would eat it, what, with their shoes on. Why? Because it represents that they are prepared to leave. Everything that they're doing right is again like a memorial for uh to remind themselves of everything that god has done for them okay um the feast of the first fruits 
Okay, this occurs two days after the Passover, and it represents the resurrected Christ. The first fruits were like the first of the harvest. You know, like when they would they would they would sow, and then once the once the harvest was ready to be reaped, the first fruits were like the first of the harvest, right? The first things that are coming from the harvest. So at the very beginning of the barley harvest, before all other harvests, right? They would celebrate this feast of the first fruits, which is representing like the the abundance of god like the the provision of god that god is granting us uh, a harvest he's granting us something you know for our sus sustenance right but it also has uh, a spiritual meaning okay um the 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 sanctification of the first fruits okay is like the sanctification of the whole life to god because it says if the first fruit is holy the lump is also holy and if the root is holy so are the branches meaning Christ is the first fruit when it comes to the resurrection. We speak about Christ being the first fruit as in everything that he experienced, right, in terms of his resurrection, we also will experience. Like he died on the cross, we also die with him in baptism. He was resurrected, we also are resurrected with him in baptism, and we will be resurrected on the last day. So he was like the first one who experienced the resurrection um, in preparation for us to experience the resurrection. So he is the first fruit. Okay, um, the in Leviticus 23, verse 20, it says the priest shall wave them, meaning the first fruits, right? The first of the harvest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. They would have a priest actually would take it and wave it like this, right? As a representation that this um, reaping, this harvest that they have gotten is from God and they give thanks to him for um, what he has uh, given to them. So we should also offer the first fruits of all aspects of our life. Actually, tithing is a part of this idea of the first fruits. What is tithing? Tithing is saying whatever income I'm getting, I'm taking the first 10% of it, and I'm not spending it on myself, but I'm going to give it to God, right? This is a kind of offering of the first fruits. Um, everything that we receive from God, we are offering it back to Him, and we are giving Him the best. This is why when... Um, when, when God ordained all of the burnt sacrifices, he would say, take a lamb without blemish. Like, take the best lamb that you have, and that's the lamb that you are going to offer as a sacrifice. Don't take, like, the sick animals, because that's what the people were doing. They would take the sick animals that they didn't want anyway, and they would take those animals, and they would offer them as a sacrifice to God, because those animals, like, either way, like, they weren't going to be of use to them. They weren't going to be able to sell them. So it was easy just to take those and, sell and, and sacrifice. Whereas instead, God is saying, no, like, he rejects this. He says, take the best animals. And it tells us also something about what God wants us to offer him. You know, when it comes time for, let's say, our prayer, we offer him the time that we are already the most tired and the most lazy and the most you know like unfocused and distracted and then we offer this to god you know do we do we offer him back to the tithing do we give of tithing only if we have money to spare like do we give him the least right the, the at the end whenever we've already spent everything on ourselves or do we give him the first of everything because this is what the symbol of the first fruit is um, and like i said it's a symbol of the resurrection of christ and first corinthians 15 it says, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, right? Because everyone who falls asleep, everyone who dies, right, will be resurrected, right? Just as Christ was the first um, to be resurrected. 
the Jews were celebrating this feast on the day of Christ's resurrection because it comes right after um, the feast of uh, the Passover. So they were actually celebrating this feast of the first fruit at the same time of the resurrection of Christ. Also, Christ said about himself, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. What is he referring to here? He's giving an analogy of the resurrection to like something in farming. He says, what is a seed? Well, the seed, you take the seed and you put it into the ground, right? So in a sense, you are burying it, right? Like that's what it means. And when it falls into the ground and dies, because you are burying the seed, right? But if it dies, it produces much grain. So in order to produce much grain, you take the seed and you bury it, right? And so he's using this as an example of his own death and resurrection. He's saying, when I die, right? and I go into the ground, this is for not just my resurrection, but for the resurrection of everyone. In Colossians chapter 1, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created. Okay, Again, he is the, the, the beginning. He is the, the first, right? Um, and so this is all related to the idea of the celebration of the feast of the first fruits. Then you have the Feast of the Harvest. This feast is also known as the Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks um, because it's 50 days after the Passover. So actually when we celebrate the Pentecost, nowadays we celebrate it because it is the coming down of the Holy Spirit. This is what we celebrate, the coming of the Holy Spirit. But this feast is actually from the Old Testament. Even before the coming of the Holy Spirit, it was a celebration of 50 days after the Passover. Okay, seven weeks after the feast of the first fruits, um, and again it represents like the gift, like God is the giver of gifts, right? He he gave this harvest to the people who are harvesting it, right? And he's also giving us this gift of the Holy Spirit. This is one of the only three major feasts where all of the males appear before the tabernacle, the feast of the Passover, the harvest, and the tabernacles, right? It would be like a gathering, an assembly of all of the males to come and stand um, before the tabernacle. And again, it represents the thanksgiving for the harvest that God is giving, okay? Um, also, it's a commemoration of the receiving of the Ten Commandments, which was one of the things that happened on that day, on the very first after their first Passover, 50 days after is when the Ten Commandments were received. Um, on this Feast of the Harvest, um, God had told the people not to reap the corners of the field, right? So they would have like a field. Um, the corners of the field, they were to leave without reaping them. It says in Leviticus 19, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, and you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. The gleaning means um, to, to like saying when you, w you shall not gather the gleaning. The gleaning is kind of like what's left over after you're doing the reaping. So as you are reaping, there are some of the, of the crops that you are reaping call, fall to the ground, okay, instead of being picked up and reaped. He's saying don't gather them. Whatever it is that falls to the ground, let it stay on the ground. And whatever is on the corners of your field, do not do not harvest it. Why? It's designed for the poor and the stranger. So he's like giving, uh, he's like saying, give of what is yours to those people who are in need. Okay? We see an example of this in the book of Ruth, 
where Ruth goes into the field and she takes of the leftover of the crops um, because she is poor and she doesn't have um, any other food for her for her for herself. Um, so it's designed as a way to s to uh, supply the poor with um, their needs. The feast of reaping the fruit of labor, right? It comes after a lot of effort and toil. Okay, in Psalm one twenty six, it says, "Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy." He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Okay, so the idea of the harvest is kind of the reward of the work that we have done, right? The, 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 the principle of sowing and reaping is something very clear in Christianity, right? If you sow, if you put work, if you put effort, if you invest time in your relationship with God, then you will reap the fruit, right? You will reap... Um, like the result of all of that effort. In Galatians 5.22, it says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of these virtues that we get, right, are coming from the, the spiritual toil and the spiritual effort that we put in in order um, to receive the grace of God. Okay? The Feast of the Harvest comes after the Passover, and then after the, the Feast of the first fruit, which the Passover, again, represents the crucifixion of Christ because Christ was crucified on the Passover, and the Passover was um, smearing the blood of the lamb on the, on the door. Okay, so that represents the crucifixion. And then the first fruit represents the resurrection because Christ resurrected from the dead. He is the first one to resurrect, and we come after him. So this Feast of the Harvest comes after the crucifixion and after the resurrection, which again is the Pentecost that we celebrate in the church, which is the coming down of the Holy Spirit that came down after the crucifixion and after the resurrection. Also, this gift of the Holy Spirit is given to everyone, just like in the Feast of the Harvest. Even the poor people who don't have lands, who don't have crops that they are sowing in order to reap, they are allowed to receive of the crops who belong to other people because the other people do not harvest everything and they leave the remnants on the ground for the poor to come and to take so just as saying the holy spirit is offered and given to everyone not only to certain people um, in matthew 5 3 it says blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven so those people who are poor they still receive um, the blessings from god the feast of the trumpets or rosh hashanah okay um, this Feast of the Trumpets is uh, described here in Levitic Leviticus 23. It says, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. Okay? There was this type of trumpet called shofar, um, which are ram's horns curved in, in, a, in a certain shape and ornamented with silver at the mouthpieces. The people would take these special trumpets and they would blow the trumpets at this time in the celebration of this Feast of the Trumpets. And this feast was a commemoration of the sacrifice of Isaac, okay, where a ram was sacrificed instead of him. So if, if you remember the story, right, where God had asked Abraham to go and sacrifice Isaac, his son. So Abraham took Isaac in order to sacrifice him. And he put Isaac on the altar, and he picked up the knife, and he was getting ready to slaughter Isaac. But at the last moment, God stopped Abraham and told him, no, do not slaughter him. Okay, so instead they found that there was um, an animal, a ram, uh, nearby. And so they took that animal 
and they slaughtered that animal instead. Okay, so this is this feast of the trumpets was a commemoration of this event. Okay, and when we think about how it applies to us in the New Testament, this trumpet is like a kind of annunciation. It's an announcement of something, which is like Christ, who is the messenger of salvation, annunciation of the day of the Lord. When Christ comes as an announcer of salvation to all people in his incarnation, right? This was the New Year's Day for them. They gathered the fruit of the previous year, and they sow the seeds of the new year. So this is also where they sow the, the seeds that are going to be reaped um, later on. And they blew the trumpet from sunset of the eve of the feast until sunrise of the feast to raise their joyful prayers before God that he may remember his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, It's the beginning of the seventh month um, after a long summer period. And it's the prelude or the before the great day of atonement which follows, which follows it. The Jews prepared for it during the time with prayers, repentance, and purification, and the commemoration of the sound of thunder and trumpet heard when God appeared to Moses on the mountain. So uh, when God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses on the mountain, there was great fire and, and thundering and lightning, right, and, and rumbling, right? So this blowing of the trumpet is a commemoration of this event when God came kind of in this mighty way um, as he was giving God the Ten Commandments it says in, in Exodus 19 then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled right this is when Moses was on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments so again this feast of the trumpet is a commemoration of God's appearance on the mountain with Moses okay um, there are three things here that the blowing of the trumpet symbolizes. The first is the annunciation of salvation, essentially telling the people about the salvation that they are receiving. In Isaiah 27, it says, So it shall be in that day, the great trumpet will be blown. They will come who are about to perish and shall worship the Lord in the holy mount at Jerusalem. Okay, so in that day, those people who are perishing are going to come and worship the Lord in the holy mountain because God is declaring their salvation. They are not going to perish, but they will be saved. Okay. The second thing the blowing of the trumpet symbolizes is a call for repentance. In Isaiah 58, it says, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Okay. So again, the voice is like a trumpet calling people to repent, to repent of their sins. And then the third is the annunciation of the day of the Lord, which is the judgment day at the end of, at the end of time. For the Lord himself would ascend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. So all of the, the trumpets represent like a call to action or, or to reveal some, something important that has happened, that there is, salvation is offered to the people, uh, calling them to repent of their sins, calling them to the, the time when now the Lord is coming on the clouds in his glory and the second coming in order to judge the people, the day of the Lord, right? So the Feast of Trumpets, um, representing all of these things to us. The next is the Day of Atonement. Um, the Day of Atonement is described in, in Leviticus 16. It says, Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and let it go as the scapegoat into the wilderness, okay? So on this day, on this feast, okay, this is the only day 
when the high priest would enter into the most holy place. So the tabernacle is divided into three sections. The outer court, and then the holy, and then the most holy. The most holy is where the Ark of the Covenant would be, and no one was allowed to enter, not even the high priest, except only on this day, the Day of Atonement. And the, what he would do is he would have two animals, like two, two goats. One goat would be slaughtered, okay, and then the other goat would be released. And the symbolism is that one of the goats is dying on behalf of the other, right? Just as the Messiah bore the sins of the people, and he died on behalf of the, uh, all of us. So it's like he is the one being slaughtered, right? And we are the ones who are escaping and being released and being free. That was the symbolism behind the two goats. So the one that is, that is being released is called the scapegoat, the one who is escaping, okay? And again, Christ the Redeemer died for our sins. Um, and so again, at, the, at the time, the people maybe didn't understand what this meant, Right, but when it come come time for the coming of the Messiah, and he would speak about how he had to die for the salvation of the world, he can connect it. Well, this is what God has been telling us to do every year in the Day of Atonement: that there is one goat that is dying on behalf of the other and being free, just as Christ is dying um, on our behalf. The next is the Feast of the Tabernacles. This is actually the last one, the Feast of the Tabernacles. It's also known as the Feast of Booths, okay? In Leviticus 23, it says, You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So again, to remind the people of what happened originally, Whenever the Lord brought them out of Egypt, well, they were dwelling in tents. I mean, those booths are tents. They were dwelling in tents in the wilderness, right? And so this reminds them for this period of seven days that this is how their ancestors were living, to remind them of what their origin was, how God was bringing them up um, out of Egypt and they were living in booths. Um, the sukkah or the tents is a reminiscent of the type of huts in which the ancient Israelites dwelt during their 40 years of wandering in the desert after the exodus from Egypt, right? And so, again, this represents Christ who brings his people into his kingdom. This period of 40 years of traveling into the desert was all a prelude to entering the promised land. And it represents, like, the spiritual journey of, of a person um, who is, like, escaping from the devil. In this case, Pharaoh uh, in Egypt, rep he represents the devil. The people are escaping from him, traveling through, like their spiritual struggle and spiritual toil, which is the 40 years in the desert, in order to enter into the promised land. So here Christ is bringing the people into his kingdom. The promised land is like the heavenly Jerusalem. It's like the kingdom of heaven. So we are traveling and toiling in this world and a spiritual struggle in order to get to this promised land or this heavenly Jerusalem. It was a seven-day holiday with the first day celebrated as a first full festival with special prayer services and hol holiday meals. During each of the holiday, uh, each day of the holiday, Jew the Jews invite seven spiritual guests to be with them in the booth, the seven shepherds of Israel. So it's like symbolically each of the seven days of this feast, they would be visited by or inviting one of these special guests. Um, famous figures from the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Aaron, Joseph, and David. I call them the seven shepherds of Israel. 
um, and as they look forward to the coming of the Messiah. So, of course, the Messiah, who is the Savior, right? He is the one who um, can offer salvation that none of these seven can offer, right? But they're like kind of remembering these important figures in the history of Israel um, and eventually looking forward to the Messiah, which they were looking to receive. They dwelt in tents as strangers without a land. Um, and, and, and we in the New Testament also are dwelling like as strangers, right? We call ourselves sojourners, travelers. We are not at home here on the earth, but we are looking forward to our heavenly home. And Hebrews 13 says, For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Just as the Israelites, when they were wandering for 40 years in the desert, living in tents, they were looking forward to entering the promised land. Nobody would like the desert. Nobody wanted to stay in the desert. Right? They were very interested to get out of the desert in order to go to the promised land. We also should not be like seeking to enjoy ourselves here as much as we are looking forward to the heavenly Jerusalem that we are all seeking to go. Um, and so in First Peter chapter 1, it says, Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Like fear and reverence and seriousness, looking forward to um, where God is, is leading us to the heavenly Jerusalem. So very quickly, those are the seven feasts of the Lord. The Passover represents the crucified Christ. Unleavened bread represents the afflicted Christ, the burial of Christ. The first fruits, the resurrected Christ. Um, the Feast of the Harvest, the Holy Spirit, who was the giver of gifts. The Feast of the Trumpets, uh, Christ as the messenger of salvation and annunciation of the day of the Lord. The Day of Atonement, Christ the Redeemer, the one who was sacrificed instead of us. And then the Feast of Tabernacles, Christ who is bringing his people into his kingdom. So we can kind of see um, the symbolism in the Feast of the Old Testament and how it points us in our spiritual life to Christ himself. Does anyone have any questions or comments? From Egypt to the Promised Land? Well, Egypt borders Israel. So, so if you're right on the edge of Egypt, right, it's right there. So, no, no, actually, it would have taken them two weeks to go from where they were to the promised land. And they actually did. They went there, and then they sent 12 spies, and only two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, came back with a good report of the land, and so the people refused to enter. So God said, okay, since you refuse to enter, you'll go and wander for 40 years in the desert. And he waited for that entire generation of people to die, right? And then their children are the ones who inherited the promised land. Joshua and Caleb still remained, but everyone else, he waited for them to die off so that their children who would be faithful to him would enter the promised land. Yeah. Yes. It was very early. Um, yeah, so so it was, they, un they understood that there was going to be a prophet, uh, like the, um, they, they understood that there was going to be a prophet who was going to come, um, and he was going to be the one who was going to be kind of the one who ushers in to like a political, in their understanding, like a political victory over their enemies. Um, when was the first, I, I, from the very beginning, Right, it was understood that this Messiah was going to come through the loins of Abraham from the very beginning in the covenant. So I believe yes, like even from the even from then, 
it was understood that the Messiah would come. The, I, I believe so, yeah. The political. They didn't understand the whole salvation. They understood it as more of a political leader, as someone who is going to establish their kingdom on earth. Because everything that was given, everything that was said, was all in terms of like the physical. Like even to Abraham, what was God telling him? He said, well, you're going to have children, descendants that are like the sand of the seashore and the stars in the sky, right? His understanding of what was to come was going to be an establishment of himself and his lineage on earth. It wasn't so much an understanding of what does that mean in a spiritual sense. And that's the way things were in the Old Testament. People didn't understand the spiritual meaning behind all these things. To Sheol, right? They called it Sheol. Sheol is essentially Hades. But they didn't have a clear understanding of what to expect there or what that meant or that there was going to be a heaven after that. It wasn't very clear to them like what was what was to come. So that's why they didn't die in hope, right? They didn't die with a sense of, we believe in the resurrection or we believe that there is a hope after this. Like they died kind of feeling, believing that death was, you know, the end. Yeah. Okay. You can pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask for your blessings and we ask that you help us to understand all the symbolism of the Old Testament that points to you. Help us, O Lord, to live a life that is pleasing to you and to be, O Lord, in your sight and to receive your favor at all times. With prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints. Here is as we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation but deliver us from the evil one in christ jesus our lord for thine is the kingdom power and the glory forever and ever amen the love of god the father the grace of the only begotten son our lord god and savior jesus christ the communion the gift of the holy spirit be with you all go in peace the peace of the lord be with you all amen